0: John 9, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. This is God's holy and infallible word. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's our reading this morning. So the bulk of this chapter is about a blind man receiving sight. We're really going to get into this tonight in the sermon. It's an incredible miracle, incredible application for our lives. But there's something else worth pausing over at the very beginning of the chapter. Jesus says... We just read it, I am the light of the world, in verse 5, just as he said it in chapter 8, verse 12. And here, Jesus shines his light on the topic of suffering. And we need that so much for Jesus to shine his light on that. Because people wonder, if God is truly good and all-powerful, why is there so much suffering and pain? Why did God take so-and-so home Before her time as we say why do people have to live with grief and pain and ailments? Why am I going through the valley right now? You might be asking these are big big questions And I think it would be tough to presume to have a definitive answer for these sorts of matters But God's word certainly does address issues like this and here Jesus the light of the world gives us insight That's very helpful Jesus and his disciples come across this man blind from birth. Verse 8 tells us he's a beggar. So he's a blind beggar. The disciples are often a pretty clueless bunch of guys, right? And their response to seeing this man is not to reach out to him. It's not to, like, help him and be caring. But their response is to see him as a theological puzzle, to be analyzed and discussed. Teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, the Jews at that time generally thought that behind any physical affliction or defect or suffering, behind any type of suffering, there was a specific sin. Why was this man born this way? Well, it must be because he was a bad person, or his parents were. They had to find blame. You ever met somebody like that in your life? If there's a problem, they're always looking for someone to blame. Whose fault is this? The reality is the Bible does give the two options the disciples give as possibilities behind suffering. The Bible talks about the sins of the parents having an impact on their children and the generations following. And the Bible talks about the negative impact of our own particular sin in our lives, But there's also another biblical cause for suffering, and that's the fall. Because Adam and Eve sinned, sin and death and pain entered the world. There'd be no sadness, no loss, no cancer if the fall had not happened. And so many times, suffering does not have a one-to-one correlation with a particular sin, but it's often... Due to the fact that we live in a fallen world, and the fallen world has problems. The Jews in Jesus' day, sometimes like us, we've got to admit, preferred to find someone to blame either his parents or the guy himself. That's a little odd to say, right? Because he was born blind. How could he ever have had cause, caused that? Well, the Israelites thought that sin in the womb was possible. So that's actually a little-known biblical pro-life argument. The Israelites were so strong on the sanctity of life that they thought unborn babies could sin. That's why they bring up this issue with this guy born blind. Jesus responds to his disciples, neither this man or his parents sin. In other words, his his suffering is simply due to the fact that we live in a fallen world. And that's helpful to know because you know what? We do want to assign blame too. We want to know who messed up. We can do it when we see someone else struggling and we can say, I wonder why God is punishing him. We can ask ourselves that question. When something bad happens to us, we can think, What did I do to cause this? There are times where connections can be made. We could list all sorts of examples. Heavy drinking is known to be very hard on our bodies and it will very often cause major health problems. If you gossip, which you shouldn't do, well, that can come back around and cause you or someone else great suffering. But there are a lot of times living in our fallen world where someone's suffering is not related to their sin, but to the fact that we're in a sinful world. Today is a very happy day in the shuringa home because our youngest our baby Adriana turns 3 January 26 but in God's providence the day right before January 25 is a very sad day and that was the day 8 years ago that Sarah and I went to the hospital early in the morning to have our third child but the nurse couldn't find the heartbeat She tried again and again. She brought in someone else. Nothing. The baby was moving and active the day before, but not anymore. And when Sarah gave birth, Jacob had the umbilical cord wrapped really quite tightly around his neck. We held him. Hannah and Olivia held him, our parents did. He was beautiful, he was full term, he was absolutely perfect. But God took him home before we ever got to know him. And he would have turned eight years old yesterday and would have celebrated with his sisters. Why did that happen? Some of the first things that that can go through our minds are, what did I do wrong? And I'm like, did I not pray enough? for his health during this pregnancy? Or did God do this because of a particular sin that I committed years ago? And maybe you've had similar thoughts about things in your life or things you've seen in other people's lives, but that's not the biblical view of suffering. That's not what God's Word gives us here. It's not what you get in other places in Scripture. You take a look at at Job Take a look at two examples in Luke 13 for the biblical approach. The same one is here. Blaming yourself, blaming others, that's actually an approach to life that you'll find in Eastern religions like Buddhism and Hinduism. And you know what it's called. It's called karma. Karma says when you do good stuff, good stuff happens to you. When you do bad things, bad things happen to you. That's a life philosophy that a lot of people live by, that there's this one-to-one correspondence between our actions and how pleasant our life is. But the Bible does not teach karma. And we shouldn't be tempted to that way of thinking, even if it's very common, which it is in our culture. Jesus didn't go there at all. His view does not look to the past. That's what's so incredible. We want to assign blame for hard times. We either blame ourselves, we blame someone else, but that's looking backwards jesus looks forward and you know why he does that it's because on the cross jesus paid for our mistakes and our sins the fact is we all do deserve everlasting punishment for our sin but because of the cross by grace we don't get what we deserve and you know what that means that means you don't have to keep paying for your sins in your life God is not out to get you for the wrong things you've done. We've been forgiven when we're with Jesus. There's grace. The debt has been paid. God doesn't punish us for our sins as believers. He punished Jesus on the cross. And to think he's punishing you as a child of God, that is to lessen the work of the cross. That's where the punishment for sin happened. Jesus took it all. Jesus didn't go where we're tempted to sometimes go when we think about suffering. And so we don't go there either. On the basis of the cross, suffering, it's not a theological puzzle to decipher. It's not a time to assign blame. There's something else going on. Jesus says, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus is saying this happened for a purpose, for a reason, And the Bible tells us that all things have, for their purpose, the glory of God in Jesus. All things, somehow, even the hard, puzzling things. We might not always see how the work of God is glorified in a certain situation. But Romans says God is working out all things for the good of those who love him. And then Jesus goes on, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. So in and out of suffering and hard times, not only does God have a purpose, but we still have a purpose too. And that purpose is the work of God. The work of God. I play basketball with some guys, and one of them was kidding around on Tuesday morning, about me knowing they know i'm a pastor they were kidding around about me going off from basketball to go do the lord's work that day and he was just joking around Uh, one of the other guys though not realizing he was joking very seriously says hey we're all doing god's work and of course he was absolutely right whatever we do for the glory of god it's god's work it all makes a difference it's all for the advancement of his kingdom it's all shining the light And what Jesus is telling us is we have a limited time for that because the night is coming. That's the end of the age. Jesus returned. And so we can't waste time. Jesus needs workers for his harvest. Now is the time to build his church. Now is the time to live for God's glory in every area of your life while you have the time still to do it. And so Jesus has us look forward rather than backward in suffering. Looking forward does not mean we do not stop and mourn when we've experienced a loss. It's not to say that we forget or ignore the pain. It's not to say that we can look forward and, oh, the hurt and pain will just suddenly go away. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. We hurt we mourn, we grieve, we should. And how each person does that, you know, is different. But I can tell you, Jesus does shed his incredible light on your pain and mine and our hurt and suffering. And he says, one, stop blaming yourself or others. I paid the price for your sins. My children do not have to keep paying the price because Jesus already did. Two, it all has a purpose, somehow, for God's work to be displayed. Even if we can't always see that purpose so clearly right now. And three, let's be busy in our purpose doing God's work while we have the time. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, says, the Savior has greater respect for work than he has for speculation. You know, I ask God for the grace to approach my life that way. I'm grateful for the testimony that I have of God's grace through hard times, God's glory even in the struggle, God's goodness and the sweetness of his presence, especially in suffering. Oh, I'd rather the bad things never happen. I wish I didn't get a brain tumor. I wish Jacob was sitting in the pew with the rest of the family right now but I'm holding on to the promises of our God and what Jesus says here. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in my life and my family's life and that somehow this will help the mission of God that I and each one of you are a vital part of while it is yet day. May God shine his light on your suffering May God and his work and our purpose and our work for him be greater than our pain. Amen.